Every night, no matter the weather, something walks down our street whistling softly. You could only hear it if you're in the living room or the kitchen when they walk by, and it always starts at exactly 3.03. The sound is faint at first, somewhere at the beginning of the lane near the Carson place. We're towards the middle of the street, so the whistling moves past us before fading away in the direction of the cul-de-sac. When I was younger, my sister and I would sneak into the kitchen some nights to listen. Mom and Dad didn't like that, and we'd catch hell if they found us out there. But they were never too hard on us since we always stuck to the one big rule. Don't try to look at whatever was whistling. My neighborhood is a funny place. I've lived here since I was six and I love it. The houses are small but well kept, good sized yards and plenty of places to explore. There are a lot of other kids here my age. I turned 13 back in October. We grew up together and would always play foursquare in the cul-de-sac or roam around from back porch to back porch in the summer. This was a good place to grow up. I'm old enough to see it. And there's only the two strange things here, the night whistling and the good luck. The whistling never bothered me much. Like I said, I couldn't even hear it from my bedroom. But mom and dad don't like talking about it, so I've stopped asking questions. My dad is a strong guy, tall and calm. He has an accent since he moved to the US as a kid. His family, my grandparents, they're from the islands. That's what they call it. My dad, the only time he isn't so calm is if the whistler comes up. He talks a little quicker, then eyes move faster. And he tells us not to think about it so much and to always remember the one rule, the big rule. Don't try to look outside when the whistler goes past. Not that we could look even if we wanted. See, there are shutters on the inside of every window, thick pieces of heavy canvas that pull down from the top and latch to the bottom of the window frame. Each latch even has a small lock, about the size of what you'd find on a diary. My dad locks those shutters every night before we all go to bed and keeps the key in his room. My mom, I don't know what she thinks about the whistling. I've seen her out in the living room before at 3.03 when the sound starts. I could see her if I cracked my door open just an inch to peek. She's not out there often, at least I haven't caught her much, but once or twice a month I think she sits out there on our big red couch just listening. The whistler has the same tune every night. It's cheerful. Remember how I said there are two odd things about where I live? Well, besides our night whistler, everyone in my neighborhood is really lucky. It's hard to explain, and Dad doesn't like us talking about this part much either. But good things just seem to happen to people around here, a lot. Usually it's small things, winning a radio contest, or getting an unexpected promotion at work, or finding some arrowheads buried in the yard. You know, the authentic kind. The weather is pretty good, and there's no crime, and everybody's gardens bloom extra bright in the fall. A million little blessings, I've heard my mom say about living here. But the main reason we stay here, why we moved here in the first place, is my sister Nola. She was born very sick, something with her lungs. We couldn't even bring her home when she was born, only visit her in the hospital. She was so small, I remember, small even compared to the other babies. A machine had to breathe for her. We moved into our house here to be closer to the hospital. As soon as we moved here, Nola started getting better. The doctors couldn't figure it out. They chalked it up to whatever they were doing, but we could all tell they were confused. But my parents knew. Even I knew. 
Nola getting better was just another of the million little blessings we got for living in our neighborhood. So that's why we stayed even after we found out that, for every small miracle that happens here every day, now and then, some bad things happen. But they only happen if you look for the whistler. See, our neighborhood has a welcoming committee. They show up with macaroni casserole and a gift basket and a manila folder whenever someone new moves in. They're very friendly. Four people showed up when we moved in seven years ago. The committee made small talk, gave me a Snickers bar, and took turns holding Nola. It was her first week out of the hospital, so they were extra careful. Then the committee asked to speak to my parents in private, so I was sent to my room, where I still managed to hear nearly every word. The welcoming committee told my parents about how nice the neighborhood was. Really exceptionally hard to explain kind of nice. And then they told my parents about the even harder to explain whistling that happened every morning at 3.03 and ended at the tick of 3.05. The group, our new neighbors, warned my parents that the whistling was quiet, would never harm or hurt us as long as we didn't look for what was making the sound. This part they stressed, and I pushed my ear into the door straining to hear them. People who went looking for the whistler had their luck change, sometimes tragically. A black cloud would hang over anyone that looked. Anything that could go wrong would. The manila envelope the committee brought over contained newspaper clippings, stories about car crashes and ruined lives, public deaths and freak accidents. Not everyone dies, I heard the head of the committee tell my dad, but the life goes out of them. Even if they live, there's no light in them ever again. No presence. My mom, I could tell she wasn't taking it seriously. She kept asking if this was some prank they play on new neighbors. At one point, my mom got angry, accused the committee of trying to scare us out of our new home, asked them if they were racist on account of my dad being from the islands. My dad calmed her down, told her he could tell our new neighbors were sincere, and they were just trying to help us. He explained that he grew up hearing these kinds of stories from his mom and that he knew there were strange things that walked among us. Some of those strange things were good and some were bad, but most were just different. After the committee left, my dad went out to the hardware store, bought the canvas blinds, the latches, and the locks, and installed them on every window in the house after dinner. That first night in our new house, I crept out of my room at 3 a.m., only to find my dad awake sitting on the living room couch holding my baby sister. My dad held up a finger in a shush motion, but patted the couch next to him. I sat, and we waited. At exactly 3.03, we heard the whistling. It came, and it went just like our neighbors said. The whistling returns each night, and we never look, and we enjoy our million little blessings every day. Nola breathes on her own, and she's grown into a strong, clever girl. My dad even joined the welcoming committee. We don't get new neighbors often. Why would anyone want to leave? But when a new family moves in, my dad and the committee bring them macaroni casserole, a gift basket, and the manila folder. I can always tell by the look on my dad's face when he comes back if the family took the committee seriously, or if we'd be getting new neighbors again very soon. Not long ago, a family moved in directly next to us. The previous owner, Miss Maddie, passed away at age 105. She lived a good, long life. Our new neighbors seemed like they'd fit in just fine. 
They believe the welcoming committee took my dad's advice about the locking shutters since they had a young child of their own. Whatever newspaper clippings were in that manila envelope, whatever evidence, my dad never let us see. But I imagine it must have been awfully convincing since our neighbors got along with no issues for the first month. One night, when our new neighbors had to leave town, they sent their son, Holden, to stay with us. He was 12, a year under me in school. I didn't know him well before that night, but as soon as his parents dropped him off after dinner, I could tell it was going to be a bad time. Do you know who was always out there whistling every night? Holden asked the moment the adults left the room. The three of us were sitting in the den, some Disney movie playing idly on the television. My sister and I exchanged a glance. We don't talk about that, I said. I think it's that weirdo that lives in the big yellow house on the corner, Holden said. Mr. Tools? My sister asked. No way, he's really nice. Holden shrugged. Must be a psycho killer then. Nola tensed. We don't talk about it, I repeated. Let's go in my room and play Nintendo. We spent the next few hours playing games, eating popcorn and then watching movies. A typical sleepover, but I could see Holden was getting antsy. After my parents had wished us a good night, locked the blinds and gone to bed, Holden stood up from his beanbag and walked over to where Nola and I were sitting on my bed. Have you ever even tried looking? He asked. It's nearly time. Like most sleepovers, we'd conveniently ignored any suggestion of a bedtime. I was shocked to see he was right. It was almost 3 a.m. I sighed. We don't... I see, I can't. I can't even try to look because my dad locks the blinds every night and hides the key, he continued, ignoring me. So does our dad, said Nola. No, replied Holden. No, he doesn't. You saw him do it, I said, a little sharper than I meant to sound. Holden grinned. Your dad locks the blinds, yeah, but he doesn't hide the key. He keeps it right on his normal keychain. So, I asked, worried I already knew what he would say next because I had noticed that my dad didn't bother hiding the key anymore after all of these years, because he knew we took it seriously. So, after your dad locked up, but before your parents went to bed, I went to the bathroom, and on my way I may have peeked into the room, and I may have seen your dad's keychain on this nightstand, and I maybe went and borrowed the key to the blinds. Nola and I stared, and his grin only grew wider. You're lying, I said. Holden shrugged. You can check if you want. Just open your parents' door and look. You'll see his keychain right there on the nightstand. Stay here, I told both of them. Don't move a muscle. I hurried over to my parents' room but hesitated at the door. If Holden wasn't lying, my dad would be angry. Beyond angry. I was scared thinking about it, but more scared of an open window with the whistler right outside. I opened the door, barely an inch, and looked in, but it was too dark to see. Taking a deep breath, I walked into the room. Two steps into the dark, I froze. The whistling started, and I could hear it clearly from my parents' room. I never realized, but they must have heard this sound every night since we moved into the house. They never told us. I don't think I could have slept through it. I stood there listening to the whistling come closer, unsure whether I should turn on a light or call out for my dad. Soft sounds from the living room brought me back to reality. Nola, I yelled, running out of my parents' room. Holden and Nola were standing near the front door next to a window. Holden wasn't lying. I could see him fumbling with the lock on one of the blinds. I heard it click. 
You did have the key. Holden let out a quick laugh. Nola stood next to him, hunched up, afraid but maybe curious. The whistling was right outside our house now. I think I made a sound. Called out. I can't remember. Time felt frozen. Clock hands nailed to the face. But I found myself moving. I'm not fast. I've never been athletic. Somehow, though, I covered the space between myself and Nola in a moment. My eyes were locked on her, but I heard Holden pull the blind all the way down so it could release. I heard the snap of it start to raise, and I heard the whistling just on the other side of the window. But I had my arms around Nola, and I turned us so she was facing away from the window. At the same time, I jammed my eyes shut. The blind whipped open. The whistling stopped. I felt Nola shaking in my arms. Don't look, okay? I told her. Don't turn around. We were positioned so that she was facing back towards the hallway, and I was facing the window. My eyes were still closed. I felt her nod into my shoulder. I reached out with an arm, not holding Nola, and tried to touch Holden. My hand brushed against his arm. He was shaking worse than Nola. Holden? I asked. Silence. I reached past him and gingerly felt for the window, I still sealed shut. The glass was cold against my fingertips, colder than it should have been for the time of year. I moved my hand up the window, seeking for the string to the blind. The glass began to get warmer the farther I reached, and there was a gentle hum feeding back into my fingertips. I tried not to think about what might be on the other side of the window. Finally, I touched the string and yanked the blind shut. I opened my eyes, in the dim light leaking out from the kitchen. I could make out Holden, pale and small, staring at the now-closed window. Holden? I asked again. He turned towards me, and he screamed. Everything became a flurry of motion. Light sparked to life in the hallway, then the living room. My parents' footsteps thudded across the hardwood floor. I didn't turn to look back at them. My eyes were glued to Holden. He was pale had bit his lips so hard there was a thin red line of blood running down his chin, and he'd wet himself. "'What happened?' my dad asked from behind me. I managed to swivel away from Holden and look back. He looked! I'd never seen my dad scared before, but I saw it that night, in that moment, an old, ugly terror stitched on his face. A parent's fear. "'Just Holden?' he mouthed to me. I nodded yes." My dad let out a breath. He looked so relieved I nearly expected him to cheer. But then he turned to Holden, and my dad's face changed. I wondered if he felt bad for feeling good that Holden was the only one that looked. There was a knock at the door. We all froze. Holden whimpered. Don't answer it, my mom said. She stood at the threshold of the hall. I'd always thought she was a skeptic and just humored my dad about the windows and the whistler. But that night... We were all believers. I noticed that both of my parents held baseball bats they must have taken from their bedroom. The knock came again, a little louder this time. Please don't open the door, Holden whispered. My dad walked over to him, hugged him close. We won't, my dad promised, still holding his bat. Nothing is coming in here tonight. Thud, thud, thud. This time the knocking was loud enough to rattle the door. Holden screamed again and Nola clutched her arms around my neck. 
My mom came over and knelt down next to us, wrapping my sister and me close. Thud, thud, thud. Call the police, my mom whispered to my dad. The knocking instantly stopped. My dad looked over his shoulder at us. Do you think? He was cut off by frantic knocking that trailed off into a polite tap, tap, tap. Police, something said from the other side of the door. The voice from outside sounded exactly like my mom, like a parrot repeating the words back to her. Police, call the police. Tap, tap, tap. Police. My mom pulled us closer. Police. 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 Please stop, I heard her whisper to herself. I don't think calling them will help, my dad said. How will we know when they're the ones at the door? The knocking came back harder than before. The door shook, then it stopped. After a long moment, I heard the knocking again, but it was coming from our back door. We all turned together towards the back door, but the knocking immediately returned to the front door. Front to back, back to front. Loud, then quiet, then loud again. Suddenly, the sound was coming from both doors at once. Big, heavy blows like a sledgehammer. Then something started rapping against all of the windows in the house. Then the walls. It was like we were living inside a drum with a dozen people trying to play at once. Or we were a turtle, and something was attempting to claw us out of our shell. Stop! Holden yelled. The knocking died. I won't tell, Holden said, staring at the door. I promise I won't tell anyone what I saw. Just, just please go away. We waited for nearly a minute. Then we heard it. A soft tap, tap, tap. Coming from the window Holden had looked through earlier. Holden started to cry, sobbing like a prisoner watching gallows being built outside their cell. My dad held him, brushed his hair, but never lied to him. Never told him things would be okay. The tapping at the window went on for the rest of the night. We huddled together in the room for I don't know how long. Eventually, my mom tried to take us kids into my room while my dad stayed to watch the door. But the second we moved into my bedroom, the knocking came back. So loud it was impossible to ignore. I was afraid the door couldn't take it. We went back into the living room and the knocking stopped. Only the tap, tap, tap on the window remained. None of us slept that night. The tapping stopped around 7 a.m. That's about the time the sun comes up here. We waited another two hours before my dad opened the blinds from one window. He made us all go back to my parents' bedroom first. I heard him open the door, then came back in. Okay, he told us. It's done. Holden's parents came back around lunchtime. My mom and dad walked Holden over to his house and they all went inside for quite a while. Nola and I watched from the window. She stuck to me the whole day, right at my side, sometimes holding my hand. When my parents came back, they looked grim, but wouldn't tell us what they said to Holden's family. It was a Sunday, so we all spent the day together, ordered pizza, and watched movies. That night, everyone slept in my room. Nola and my mom in the bed with me, my dad in a chair he'd pulled over. There was no knocking that night, or any night since. We didn't see much of Holden or his parents for the rest of that week, but by Thursday there was a moving truck in their driveway. Nola and I watched them packing up the whole afternoon after school. What sticks with me most is how tired Holden and his parents looked. All three of the same paler, grim mouths and lightless eyes. Even from across the street, 
I could tell something was very wrong. Holden and his family were gone before sunset. I remember what the original welcoming committee said to my parents when we moved in. Not everyone who looks at the Whistler dies, but even those that live have the light go out of them and the rest of their lives are full of misfortune. A million little tragedies. I think Holden's parents must have looked, either to comfort him if they didn't believe, or share the burden if they did. I watch Nola some days, happy and young and alive, and I wonder if I'd been slower if she'd looked out that window that night. Would I have looked too, to comfort her, to share that burden? I'm glad I don't have to find out. It's been two months since the night Holden stayed here. We still live in that house, in that neighborhood. We still hear our whistler walking past every night. The blessings, the luck, the good things here are too good to leave. But we're careful. We don't have friends over to spend the night anymore, and my dad hides the keys to the blinds very, very well. Not that I've gone looking. Some things you just don't need to look for. I was diagnosed with insomnia several years ago. I would lie down in bed and my heart would race. My imagination would run wild, causing me to think of every terrible scenario that could happen. And I would sweat so much that sometimes I would have to take a shower in the middle of the night. My doctor explained it to me in a way that compared it to someone with arachnophobia, a fear of spiders. The same way they see a spider and panic uncontrollably was the same thing that happened to me when I would try and go to sleep. I tried everything from nighttime yoga, deep breathing exercises, a new bed, medication, and even started to get a little dependent on narcotics. I used anything at my disposal to counter my irrational fear of going to sleep. Now let me be clear, I was never a drug user, never smoked or drank or popped pills to get high. But when I started using drugs to help me sleep, I knew that something serious needed to be done before it spiraled into something much worse. I talked to a lot of online forums where people like me could connect and try to see that we were not alone. It helps having people to talk to who understand that insomnia isn't watching TV at night instead of sleeping. It's not staying up late on your phone and being restless. Insomnia is a condition. As I scanned the sleepless forum, looking for some internet friends I had made, I stumbled across a post with an interesting title. It read, I have found the cure for insomnia. And usually when I saw something like this, it was some sort of sponsored ad, generally some bot trying to sell us pills or something. But seeing as though the alternative was to get into bed and have a panic attack, I clicked on the thread and began to read. The original poster, or OP, had this to say. I've found the cure for insomnia. I've slept perfectly every night since I downloaded the app. It's called Sounds Like Sleep, created by a company called Dream Systems. The OP went on to describe their experience with the app and how quickly it worked. I scanned down to see several regulars commenting and saying they downloaded the app and couldn't wait to try it. Others only had positive things to say about using the app already. So I downloaded the app as well. I keep a Bluetooth speaker in my bedroom, usually just to play some soft music while I cleaned, or as a distraction from the insomnia. 
I made sure not to check the clock as I found out early on that doing so would only make me panic more about how badly I needed to fall asleep, which would only keep me awake longer. Insomnia is a cruel condition. I opened the app, which greeted me with a soft animation of a cartoony robot getting into bed. The app had several options, rainy nights, the beach of dreams, white noise, and soothing sounds. I'd always had a fondness for storms, so I tried rainy nights. The volume was perfect, not too loud to draw my attention, but just loud enough to block out any other sounds. I sat on the edge of my bed and reached for my nightly anti-anxiety medication. The sounds of the wind and rain washed over me and surprisingly, I was already feeling tired. Without taking the medication, I laid back and rested my head on the pillow. As always, my heartbeat picked up. I felt my face get hot and I braced myself for the coming dread. I took a deep breath, held it for a count of five, then exhaled. A low thunder crawled across the room from my speaker. Leaves rustled and the rain picked up just slightly. I felt my heart return to normal and my face no longer felt hot. Not daring to disturb the effects, I closed my eyes without even getting under my blankets and fell instantly asleep. I woke up more refreshed than I had felt in years. I nearly sprang out of bed. I grabbed my phone and checked the time. It was seven on the dot. I had no idea when I had finally gone to sleep, but it was late, and yet I felt amazing. I went about my day like it was any other, only I was happy. I was energized, and to my surprise, the general anxiety that would often plague me didn't show its ugly face even once. Truthfully, I was looking forward to bedtime, just to try the app again. That night, I took the time to get under the covers. I set the app, and this time chose the beach of dreams. As the waves began to crash gently, I closed my eyes, still expecting the wave of panic to begin. When it didn't, I sighed relief and almost felt tears begin to form. I had been a slave to insomnia for years, and now with just the sleep sounds from this app, I truly felt cured. Before I knew it, I was asleep. The next morning I woke up even more refreshed. I checked my phone. It was again 7 on the dot. I went through my daily routine with such a pep in my step that people even commented on how happy I was. When it was time for bed, I again set the app, this time to white noise, and got into bed fearlessly. I was asleep in seconds. When I awoke this time, I felt exhausted, like I had run a marathon all night. I groggily sat up without looking. I knew it was 7 in the morning. I went about my day not quite as peppy as I had been the previous day, but it was still better than before when I couldn't sleep at all. I felt odd all day. I knew I had slept, but I felt like I had dreamed I was awake or something. When I got into bed that night, I selected soothing sounds from the app and closed my eyes. Again, I fell asleep in no time. I awoke in such a panic that I thought I was having a midnight panic attack, something that was common for people with anxiety and insomnia. My eyes searched the room. I don't know how, but I felt that something was in the room with me. Left to right, I looked. The room was empty. I looked again. There it was, crouched at the foot of my bed, with both hands on the blankets, as if it had just climbed out from underneath my bed. I saw it. Its hair hung over its face, but when it saw me looking at it, it froze. We were both frozen. I wanted to jump up. I 
wanted to kick and scream, I, I tried to, but my body was locked, stiff as a board. I, I could not even close my hand into a fist. I screamed internally at this thing at the foot of my bed. The only thing in my entire body that could move were my eyes. The thing cocked its head to the side. It didn't make any sound, but I knew that somehow it realized I couldn't move. I couldn't fight it. I had heard of sleep paralysis before. It's a state where your body is still asleep even after you wake up. It usually lasts only a moment or two while your brain tries to comprehend that you are both asleep and awake. I remembered reading that victims would sometimes hallucinate that evil things were in their rooms, because when we're paralyzed like this, we begin to panic and manifest images of evil things that wanted to hurt us. This was a hallucination. My heart was thundering in my chest. I focused all of my energy into just moving a finger. I thought that if I could move one finger, then the rest of my body would follow. It was no use. I was trapped in my bed. The thing knew this. It pressed down on the bed with both hands and dragged its body higher up the bed, its long hair still covering its face. I felt the pressure on the bed as it pushed down with both hands. It was almost over me now. I screamed. I and I screamed, and not a sound escaped my mouth. I could feel its hair on my face. I slammed my eyes closed, and the sounds of the app filled my ears. I fell asleep instantly. When I woke up, it was with a gasp. I shot upright in my bed and looked around the room. Nothing. Empty. Just the light from the sun pouring in through the window. I exhaled a deep sigh of relief and went about my day. That night, I turned the app on. I chose soothing sounds again, no particular reason. I turned it on and got into bed. Like each night before, I was asleep in a matter of seconds, but my sleep didn't last long. Again, I woke up in a panic. My eyes shot open and I searched the room once more. Again, I felt my body locked to the bed. Sleep paralysis had me again. If it could, I'm sure my lip would have trembled in fear as I slowly looked down to the foot of my bed. It wasn't there. The long-haired thing that had crawled out from my bed last night wasn't there. I exhaled through my nose and looked up at the ceiling. It was above me, holding on to the ceiling like a lizard. Its long hair was hanging inches above my face. I felt the muscles in my body tighten. I had never wanted to scream more than I did that night. With this thing over me, I could only inhale and exhale, unable to lift even a finger. I forced myself to breathe slower. I didn't want to alert it that I was awake. The sounds of my breathing slowed, and I heard it. Not from the creature clinging to the ceiling, but from the Bluetooth speaker that projected the soothing sounds of the app. Come out. A voice whispered through the speaker. Come out, sweet mother, and feast while it slumbers. The voice was so faint I had to be imagining it as well. Come out and feed. As if the creature had waited for this command, it began to move. Not its body, no, but I could see the hair moving. It had first faced the ceiling, but now above me I watched as it was tilting its head back to look down at me. It kept tilting, extending further than humanly possible. The hair swayed as this thing whose body clung to the ceiling and back was to me. 
it now faced me. Wide eyes and razor-sharp teeth. It had tilted so far back that it was looking directly at me. If I could have, I would have screamed until my lungs gave out, but I couldn't. My eyes rolled back and I did the only thing I could do. I fell back asleep, lulled there by the soothing sounds. I woke up at 7 this morning. I again felt weak, like I had worked out for the entirety of the night. Every one of my muscles were sore. Slowly I got out of bed and went about my day. My day was uneventful, and I felt tired for most of it. I didn't turn the app on when I got into bed. I was hesitant, but I had to know. I stepped out of bed about 30 minutes ago and turned the app on. I listened for a while. I had started to feel sleepy, but since I was standing up and out of bed, I was able to fight the sleep. 20 minutes in, I heard a voice, faintly over the sounds of the rainstorm. Come out, come out, oh sweet mother, and feast while it slumbers. Thank you for making it this far. I'd like to encourage you to subscribe if you like my content. If you'd like to follow me and want to be involved in what I'm doing slash talk to me, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. If you'd like an offline experience, check out the podcast, The Midnight Podcast. And if you're at all inclined, I've got some merch out there to be purchased if you'd like to support the channel. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next video.